I've never met a human, no matter how atrocious their crime, that their primary need is not to matter. Every single human ever is their primary need is to matter. It's a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest. Well, introduce yourself. Uh, Lori, please go ahead. Yeah. Hi. Good morning. I'm Lori Poland, and I'm with the National Foundation to End Child Abuse and Neglect. Great. And yeah, t- tell us a little bit about uh, your organization, how it started, you know, why. Um, yeah, because I'm... I'm you know, yeah, I think it's a very important topic that your organization is working on. But tell us a little bit about the history and yeah, yeah, what what your organization is doing. Sure. So I, I'm gonna um, start from really the way back in the beginning because um, there's a why behind nearly all things that we do, and my why really has infused, you know, my everyday wake up and and how I live um, on a consistent basis. So for me, it. It started when I was a three-year-old little girl. I was living in Denver, Colorado, and um, it was it was August twenty-second, nineteen eighty-three, and it was my dad's birthday. And my dad had taken the day off of work to paint our house and just you know enjoy his birthday. He had tickets with my mom to go to the Willie Nelson concert that evening, and um, you know it was just a relaxing, very hot August day. And uh, I was playing in my front yard. My mom had just left to go back to work at 12.30 in the afternoon uh, for a lunch break. She'd come home and had lunch with us. And my dad was inside getting my brother and I a popsicle when a car drove up. And and the man in the car was a stranger. He um, asked if I liked candy. And like any sugar-loving three-year-old, I said yes. And so we quickly negotiated a trade. That if I went with him, he'd give me candy. And so I did. And I hopped in the car and we were gone. All, you know, and all of that happened in just a mere few seconds. It was broad daylight. We lived on a, almost, it was like a cul-de-sac. And so everybody on our street knew everybody on our street. My dad's work was directly across the street. Um, there were people everywhere. And it just happened so quickly. So by the time moments later, my when my dad came out, he got in the car and drove to the end of the street and didn't even know which way to go, straight, right, or left, and had to come home, make the call to my mom and to 911. Um, and, and, you know, the search for me began. Um, um, my abductor took me up to the mountains and 
about 20 miles west of Denver, he found an abandoned road. Um, he found an also abandoned old outhouse where people use the restroom um, when hiking and, and it was in the middle of the woods. And um, he proceeded to abuse me or do, do with me as he wanted. And when he was done, he dropped me 15 feet below ground in the bottom of one of the outhouse toilets. Um, and he left. And so in Denver, within my community, everybody started looking for me. They, it was one of the first instances where the media was brought in to help. Um, so it was kind of a SOS in our community. And, and so everybody was searching while I was alone and in, you know, this primal age of, of three years old, when our children are supposed to be protected and cared for and attended to, and they learn safety and security. And, um, four days later, bird watchers happened to be driving up past the outhouse that I was in. The wife had to use the restroom and they looked at where I was and said, no way and kept driving. And about a mile down the road, they decided to turn around and they were using the facilities and they heard a cry and they looked around and looked around and eventually they looked down and they saw me and they said, what are you doing here? And I told them I live here. For me, that is a symbolization of how our children tend to lean in to their environments, that whatever is going on for them becomes their normal, whether it's good or bad or traumatic or dangerous, you know, anything like that. Our, our children have these capacities to embrace the now. And um, so I was rescued, reunited with my family, and seven days later, identified my abductor in a lineup at the police department. And that video of that um, identification was taken to a local agency where it was asked, is this reliable? This three-year-old little girl, is she dependable? And the director of the agency's name was Dr. Krugman. And he said, sure, it's reliable, but it's not admissible in court. So what they ended up doing was a forensic interview. Um, it, there wasn't, it wasn't called a forensic interview back then. They didn't have anything like that, especially for three-year-old children. But they, um, one of the world's best psychiatrists, his name is Dr. David Jones. He lives in the UK now and works at Oxford. Um, he did a, a, what was in, in nowadays terminology is a play child-directed uh, forensic interview where I was able to articulate and play out exactly what happened. Um, so that led to the plea bargain of my abductor. He spent six years in prison uh, for rape, attempted murder, and kidnapping. Um, and then that doctor, Dr. Krugman, was, who was the director, and I, we stayed in contact. And when I was 18, I did a research paper for my senior year technology class on how to help rural communities get services. And then in graduate school, I reached out and asked him if he would be my mentor. So this is a very long story and I apologize. Fast forward, you know, over five to seven years, we continued to have the same conversation over and over again about how other issues like breast cancer, diabetes, 
cancer, heart disease, um, even suicide, were, were um, culturally more apt to talk about. And over 25 years, the last 25 years, we've seen each of those topics become more um, accessible. Uh, treatment has been more accessible as well, has been improved. Lives have been changed. Lives have been saved. Lifespans have been elongated. And in Dr. Krugman's opinion, he was the dean of a med school for 25 years. He had seen that those things improved because there was a national organization that helped raise dollars for education, prevention, research, and advocacy. But there wasn't anything like that for child abuse. So after seven years of having the same conversation every three months, he said, would you be interested in helping me do a national organization and child abuse and neglect? And I said, uh, sure. <laughs> I'm a therapist and I was a therapist and I owned a wellness center. Um, but I decided to help. And so four years later, here we are. <clears throat> We've grown just last year by 547%, and um, which is a major success because I've never opened a national organization before. <laughs> and um, we're just trying to change the conversation and bring awareness to a really uh, trying topic that triggers everyone. I've never met anybody that doesn't know somebody that has been impacted by child abuse. And there's so much hope and possibility for survivors. Uh, we need to spread that message and create more of a conversation and empathetic ear around such a hard, uh, challenging issue so that we can ultimately bring it out of the shadows, um, stop what perpetrators count on, which is silence, and and child abuse and neglect on a, on a cultural level. So that was a very long answer to your question, but that's my why. Oh. I, um, I, I, have a, I have a couple of questions for, for you. Um, you know, I, I was I was only uh, thinking. You know, for some uh, people listening to this today's podcast, yeah, uh, this will trigger might trigger uh, something for them because they've yeah. experienced this. So, um, do you have any advice or in terms of where they could, you know, is there a number that they could call? Um, yeah, yeah. So the 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 hardest part about this topic is that it is incredibly triggering. And there, in my opinion, um, and in all of my experience, there are so many more people who have this um, as part of their storyline than any of us really even know, than the numbers even indicate. Um, and the, the, the worst part is, is that those systems, those support networks, those phone numbers, those resources are just not at the level that they need to be. And um, that is exactly why EndCan is here. We are in no way here to replace or even replicate um, existing programs. There are thousands and thousands of agencies across the globe who are doing amazing things but they don't have the resources or the capacity to be impactful 
to the actual need, to the number of people that are in need. And so to answer your question, yes, there are, um, there are a lot of organizations across the globe that provide support and um, their therapeutic intervention, um, even just um, um, community support groups, you know, peer support groups. Um, and, and we don't, I don't necessarily have all of those, unfortunately, um, because there isn't a universal place for anybody to call. Now there is the National Child Abuse Hotline uh, that if somebody hasn't reported their abuse, they are able to contact in the United States that National Child mm -hmm. Abuse Hotline. And then that hotline directs them to their local child welfare systems. And that is, is a sliver of the pie, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, I, I want to say, yeah, here's the number. Here's here's yeah. where you go, and here's who you can call. Here's a a, a a call a line, a call line that you can just call, like the suicide hotline, um, and talk to somebody. But we don't have those, and um, it's just so unfortunate that I don't have a direct answer aside from local agencies all over the country in the U.S. Um, I, I know nationally and internationally, there are groups and organizations that are doing very similar things, um, but accessibility is, is quite interesting. And, and that's, that's why we're here, Maurice. So th thank you so much for sharing your uh, story, uh, yeah. Laurie and, and I've, yeah, I've heard you tell the story before through uh, YouTube and every time I listen to this, I'm, I've, I've no words, you know, it is uh, what, what, what gives me hope and, and energy is to see you. I mean, you know, be, <laughs> um, yeah, what would you have been able to, to do um, and are still doing, which is uh, amazing and so important. I, if you, if you don't mind, I do have a a question still about your experience is because you were three years old and you mentioned yourself in terms of you know when I look back at three years old I probably don't have a memory yeah four or five maybe it starts and they are very and of course uh snapshots you know, I, I, yeah um, yeah so so that's that's kind of uh, so that's pretty amazing that that your testimony was helpful then in in uh finding the man and he getting a sentence but how did you you know how was your growing up it must have been extremely difficult also for you for yeah. your parents can you tell a little bit about that um, yeah I'd be happy to so I um my family like so many families mm -hmm. um who experience ex specifically extrafamilial abuse but abuse in and of itself is poisonous and it impacts, it's like one drop of poison ruins the whole barrel of water. And I've, I've rarely seen an incident of child abuse, whether it's intrafamilial or extrafamilial, meaning inside of the family or outside, um, where it hasn't truly rippled into significant impact on everything and everyone in its path. And so I, you know, for me, my story, I, I really want to emphasize, is one of tens of millions of people. 
I am in no way saying my story's worse, bigger, small, or, or better, or, you know, and, and I don't mean better, but just bigger, right, than anybody else's. Because our bodies read trauma the same. For one person, the loss of an animal can be significantly traumatizing. For another person, the loss of community and safety and in, in the middle of a war, that can be significantly traumatizing. So it's all relative because the body reads trauma the same. Now, now my family went through their own form of trauma. My brother was 18 months older than me. So he was a five-year-old, very shy, very timid little boy with these giant blue eyes who loved to play quietly and was very orderly in the way that he lived. And, and he was, I mean, just in watching video of him and seeing him back then, I just like want to hug him because he was just so pure. Right. But, um, my brother watched me get into the vehicle from the front porch and it was in no way his responsibility as a five-year-old to stop it, to protect me, to, you know, scream, to tell me not to, that was not his job supervising me and making sure I was safe was on the responsibility of my dad. Absolutely. Because that's our, that's parents' jobs, right? However, I I say this in my, my book that's coming out shortly. Um, My abductor was a watcher. So he would watch and wait and he would have looked for any single opportunity he could have, whether it was that day or the day after, or the day after he was, all he needed was a 47 second window of opportunity. And he would have gotten what he wanted. Historically, that was his MO. That's what he had done to many other children. I was not the first one. Um, And so coming back to your question, my family went through a trauma. I couldn't imagine you're a parent of three. I'm a parent of three. Um, I could not fathom anybody taking my child, let alone hurting my child in that way. I, I mean, every time I say it, it's the one thing that causes goosebumps. It, it just sends me to a whole different playing field. And in 1983, providing support for families and siblings wasn't I mean, it just wasn't in our mindset. We didn't think like, oh, this would have also an impact on the other three people in this household. You know, just the media coverage alone, let alone the tens of thousands of people reaching out and, you know, offering to kill my abductor. And I mean, really traumatizing things. So my mom and dad did a phenomenal job of raising me and my brother, considering that they were trauma survivors, considering that they were 22 and 24 years old. So they were babies raising babies, babies raising a baby who had major life trauma that most people do not live through. And and so they were great. My dad is a very charismatic, very funny. He loves to tell jokes. He's a leader. He's strong. He's independent. My mom is a a mother bear. She's fiery and 
she's petite and dainty and a spitfire. You know, she would, she's a defender. And the two of them were, and still are, so madly in love with each other. It's almost envious to everybody around them, right? They just, my dad calls my mom his, his uh, flower child and, and they just love each other. And, and I grew up in a trauma-filled home because we had this major impact. So, and my parents didn't have the necessary, necessarily um, wherewithal to know that um, they had their trauma, I had mine, and I was going to need ongoing support and I wasn't just going to be able to get over it and, and move on. And, um, you know, like once I was better, I was permanently better Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I, I had great years, many great years in my life, but, um, it's never really been easy. Mm. And I am so triggered even as an adult by abandonment and, and among many other things. And, um, and so growing up was challenging in that way. And our relationship has, especially in the last seven years that I've really begun doing this work and really speaking out about my experience has created a lot of um, challenges for our family system. And I don't have a good relationship with my family. Um, and that is something that um, is very hard for me to say out loud. It's, it's, I, I have shame around it because I feel at blame for it because I use my voice to try and help others. Um, but uh, it, it is, I knew when I started EndCan that it would be sacrificial in that way. I knew that my family view of my abduction is significantly different than mine. And um, to them, they truly believe it didn't happen to me because I was so young. And, and that's okay. That's their observation. Um, but it did. And I have, a, I have a story in it, even though um, I may not have that memory that you were talking about earlier. So, so again, long answer to your question. Um, it, was, it was both wonderful and really hard growing up. And, and just to, so that I am sure when you're talking about my family, you're talking about uh, your parents or the extended family? Um, just specifically my mom and my dad and my brother. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, yeah. since you started uh, can it you, you kind of parted ways. Uh, yeah. Is that, uh, yeah. Is that what happened? Yeah, they, um, I don't know that it was ever decided upon that we were going to part ways. There wasn't like a signed agreement and, and, um, even like a, a big fight. It was, um, attempt after attempt after attempt to feel heard and, um, to, to not feel, um, and the rage, um, there's a lot of rage and, and that's very scary to be in. And then the story has changed. I mean, um, the, the story of my abduction itself has completely changed. 
And I, I giggle as I say that because it's mind blowing to me. Um, fortunately, I am one of very few child abuse survivors that have documentation of my abuse. And so I have hundreds of papers or pages, excuse me, of the court reports and the medical records, every nurse's note from the seven days I was in the hospital, every 20 minutes, you know, the nurses came in, the social worker at the hospital and the note that she made and and the initial doctor who was the ER doctor who evaluated me and he had said I wasn't sexually abused and all of the community was relieved by that. But then you know, so fast forward to the bruising and the, the all of the residual impacts and the lack of evaluation that he did not do, which he wouldn't know to do because unless you're trained in actually evaluating for child abuse specifically, you don't know to do that. So those are the things, fortunately, I've been able to validate my story, but so many survivors' stories are silenced and minimized and questioned and butted up against because um, we do have a hard time remembering trauma. You know, a lot of people do. And I think the other part is that no matter if it's trauma or not, all of our um, brains develop memory differently. So there, there might be a family vacation that you and your sons had in 1994 and, and, you know, looking back at that, and I don't know if your sons were born or alive back then. I, I think they were based on your age that you told me, but anyhow, you're all on this vacation, right? And if you guys were sitting around the campfire at night, talking about that vacation, one son might say, oh yeah, do you remember the bear that came? And then another son was like, there wasn't a bear. It was a deer. And, and you're like, there was no deer or bear, <laughs> you know, because we all just tend to respond and remember things differently. And our jobs aren't necessarily to say you're lying or that's not true or, or, you know, whatever, but instead to embrace, you know, that difference. The, the struggle with that is that culturally we really count on truth and fact, but even history has spoken to the differences of that. I would, I would argue that um, there are so many history stories and even textbooks that describe various times and places in history significantly different than the other side, right? I mean, even Japan versus the U.S. or or um, Germany versus uh, Poland, right? The, those That text and that memory is going to be different only because we all see things from different perspectives. So I try and really help ed- educate people into that mutual understanding. You know, there, there's no need to be right. It's really just to be accepting of various um, voices and perceptions. Thank you for that, Lori. And, and um, yeah, I have a question about uh, because you were saying that you're about to launch uh, a book, you've written oh, yeah. a book about this. Um, so tell me um, if you can, you know, when when is it uh, supposed to to be out there so that people can purchase it? It's one second. What do you hope that the book will do? Yeah, uh, both great questions. So the launch date is seven eleven twenty two, which there was not a planned date. It just happened to 
fall then. And I love that date, 7-Eleven and then 22, this just numerically, there's, mm-hmm. I feel like there's good karma there. Um, and um, my hope for the book, it, it's been a long time coming. I, I don't know that I would have written this book had it not been for Endcan and really the symbolization of using our voices to have story um, and that the power of our voice can be so impactful. Ultimately being louder than silence is where change happens. And so um, my, I hope that my book will give some semblance of one perspective, um, recognizing and embracing the many lenses because I do speak a lot about that in my book, mm-hmm. as well as um, hope and possibility for fellow survivors and fellows who have been impacted, not even just survivors themselves, but impacted by child abuse and neglect. Oh, yeah. And and we will, you know, I've, I've always uh, notes to the podcast. I will make sure that uh, the website of your company, your organization uh, will be mentioned and if you make a link to to uh, oh, sure. the page where you can purchase uh, the book, because uh, yeah, that, that uh, I, I think that would be really helpful for so many uh, people. And yeah, um, I, I'm really sorry to to, to hear um, you know what's happening with the family. So I hope yeah you know over time uh, you will get closer again. I hope so. Too. You know, the, the name of the podcast is Walk, Talk, Listen, um, because it's a spin-off of a 100-mile walk that I've been doing yeah. for the last 10 years. And um, yeah, I, I actually hope I don't have to walk anymore. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, that's, that's a discussion that we have now within the organization. But, but um, you know, doing a podcast is relatively easier than walking 100 <laughs> right. miles in a week. So um but I, I'm going to ask you a question that's related to that. If, if you would be asked to walk 100 miles in a week, so 15 to 20 miles uh, per day uh, for the course, um, to which course would you do that? Yeah. Um, you know, Maurice, you have inspired me. And, and I've actually, mm. I, I listened to your podcast the first time in the fall of last year of mm. 2021. And um, and, and you had talked about your walking and I was so inspired by that, um, gift of yourself, almost like it's in a sense, sacrificial and some, and symbolic. Right. Um, and I've spoken with my staff about doing something like that. And my plan for 2022 coming into the year was to mirror some of your efforts and wow. walking for mm. child abuse. We, um, we have started we, last year, we did our first walks. They're called walk together. Um, really emphasizing the value of, we cannot, we can't end child abuse and neglect or cancer or heart disease or diabetes or obesity or mental illness or suicide unless we do it together. Because every one of those things I just mentioned is has a direct correlation to child abuse and early childhood trauma. And so um, last year we started our first walks across the country. 
we did four cities last year. It ended up being six different walks because we did some partnership walks. One for um, the Global Ending Child Sexual Abuse Day on November 18th. And then another was for a partnership walk with people who work in the child abuse field. And that was on December uh, 12th, I believe, last year over the Brooklyn Bridge. And so then this year, I was like, I'm going to be like Maurice and I'm going to walk and go, right? But between my partner and I, we have seven children um, <laughs> and I run three businesses, two very small ones, a private practice and a rental company, as well as this national organization. I've been chronically ill since I had COVID on Christmas. And so it all got wiped away. I mean, like just swept in the river. I mean, I was in on what felt like my deathbed on January 1, which was going to be my first day to walk 15 miles. <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, God might have a different plan for me. So honestly, to hear uh -huh. you even ask that question and then start it with, I hope I don't have to walk again. I'm like, okay, well, maybe, maybe there's some, maybe there's some bigger message there too, because if I was to walk, which was my full blown mm -hmm. intention, it yeah. would be for the children of our world mm -hmm. um, yeah, in yeah. general, because mm -hmm. every one of us was once one, mm -hmm. right? And we yeah. so easily forget mm -hmm. our own experience. We try so hard to get over our child childhood that we forget that our children are in it. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're going to have to get over that too, whether it was good or bad or indifferent or whatever we, you know, so that's, Again, another long answer to your great. <laughs> no, question. this is well. You know, this is great <laughs> to hear. So many uh, levels. Is is. Uh, I mean, I've I've been. I mean, I've been trying to to hand over the baton to somebody else or to yeah. you know people, other people in the organization or, so yeah, those type of discussions are are going on. Yeah. Because I have to to you know it it is. 10 years ago that I started I'm getting yeah. older so um yeah so so and I like walking so that's that's not it but 50 to 20 miles per day is uh, it's a lot is is tough um yeah. so that's one and and second it's it's great to hear from you that that uh, you know I, I told you that it's, it's always nice to hear when that people are listening to the podcast yeah. you know outside of my own family so so um <laughs> you have many listeners <laughs> No, I, I I know that. So it's it's definitely <laughs> growing, but this is this is great. So I I hope you will continue doing that, and maybe we can walk uh, together. Um, I would love. You know, one of one of these days. I also uh, walked last year um, in in Brooklyn. Actually, yeah, I, I walked with the CEO and founder of Empowered, which is a solar light company, uh, Sunga Jong, and we had a yeah. There is also an episode with her. Yeah. But it's also very inspiring. And I, I really like um, the fact that you mentioned children because they are also important to the work of my organization. You know, yeah. the first thousand days of a child is is crucial that uh, the child gets the right food because otherwise, you know, it starts with being behind it. It will never make up for it. Um, ensuring that, you know, the child is protected is, is uh, against all kinds of things including violence is uh, extremely important of course so no th thank you for for um, sharing that
we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, um, but during the walk, I often talk about, uh, you know, the, the next generation, but also about religion and spirituality. And I think because yeah. walking somehow, when you walk more than 10 miles, it becomes, you get into this, uh, you know, all kinds of. Trans-like. <laughs> tra yeah, trans-like, yes. So, um, yeah, so then the discussions that we often have are, hey, what do you see happening with the younger generation? Are they still religious? Are they spiritual? Um, yes, it's different than our generation. What do you see among uh, your own community with the younger generation? And, and how is that in comparison with your, um, yeah. you know, when you were younger and, and grew up? When I was 18, I went to Haiti and, and I came home and changed or added a minor to for anthropology um, because I'm so, so enamored by human beings and by mm. our, our systems, our familial systems. And um, I think that we culturally go through these various phases and in the eighties and nineties, really in the seventies, two working parent households became much more popular and common through the women's rights movement mm. and, and, you know, equality and all of those things. And what that also led to were a lot more children needing to kind of make it on their own. Right. I mean, make it at the, either at the hands of others or that latchkey parenting uh, tendency. And so we've seen an uptick in children growing into adults where they are surviving, right? So there's more personality disordered traits of needing to protect and defend ourselves. There's a little bit more entitlement. Um, and the other side to that is strength and um, resiliency. And I have seen the, the younger generation, you know, people younger than myself, I'm 41. And so uh, it, it, not that I'm a wise old person by any means. I have so much growing and learning to do. I hope I am always learning. Mm -hmm. And I see a stronger voice in our younger population. And in so many children now, children are even calling or video, videoing their own families, asking for their own help. Whereas for for thousands of years, children were silenced and um, their voices didn't have as much merit. They were seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. And so it's been this beautiful shift. You know, the average age for a survivor to share their story, the average age of a woman to share her story is 52. We don't know the average age of a man. 52 years of living with a story that happened to you that is not your fault is far too long. And so my hope and my observation for children now is that they have, whether it's a, that spiritual strength or a faith-based connection or even communal support is that them having their own voice and saying no, and you can't treat me this way, or that's not acceptable is stronger so there isn't this authoritative um, hierarchy that oftentimes perpetuates abuse. That isn't always the case by any means, but certainly um, many offenders count on that authoritative position 
in order to cause harm. So my hope and my observation is that more and more children are feeling empowered to speak up, stand together, say no, um, and have and fight for their own rights. Mm. And until we give our kids that same equality of voice, it's going to be hard to ensure that they have that opportunity. Mm. And um, and and then I say that's up to us as adults to recognize that they all have a voice as just as we did when we were young and we deserve to be heard. So um, that, that's what yeah. I would say about that. Okay. Have you, have you been able to, um, you know, hire your, your staff as part yeah. of your organization? Um, yeah. Have you been able to attract then a younger audience as well? One. And then second is, uh, your staff colleagues are they also all have they experienced uh, you know yeah what, what you experienced or is it the mixed mixed bag of all kinds of folks that are concerned and and want to do something yeah, yeah. you know I, I would say we've had a great blend of that um, which okay. I think is beautiful because it gives us so many different lenses yeah, perspective yeah and yeah and perspectives we um interesting several of our key volunteers and our staff didn't even didn't quite recognize that they um, had lived experience until after being in this space for a while and then realized like oh wait the way my my stepfather hit me or yelled at me or or in air quotes punished me that was actually abusive you know that mm -hmm. you you can't hurt children and make them bleed or break things on their mm -hmm. bodies and and like that's not discipline that's abuse you can't scream at people the way that so many adults tend to especially towards children that that's psychological impactful um and, and that can be really harmful to children that to anybody, I don't want to be screamed at as an adult. Why would a child want to be screamed at? That doesn't, I, you're not going to get my vote if, if you're going to yell at me. I'm sorry. So um, I, I think we've attracted such a wide array of spouses, children of, friends of, survivors, and then people who didn't quite feel, have the comfort to raise their hand, and then people who have stood right in the limelight, like like I have for so long saying, this is my experience. I don't, for me, I didn't really have that choice. My, my trauma happened in, with so much media and um, just focus that I couldn't, you know, it couldn't be quieted. It, it was just, I lived in the public eye and I, I always have, and there's been some pros and cons to that for sure. But um, yeah, it's been a really nice eclectic Next. Great, great. Um, well, you know, you know, you listen to some of my previous episode of the podcast, yeah. and you, so you know I like music. So I also have a music-related question as well. So if I ask you to come up with a piece of music or a song that best embodies, you know, who you are um yeah what piece of music or song would that be and why yeah um <laughs> um there are i'm i'm so bad with titles 
the Moana song, How Far I'll Go, mm -hmm. um, is one my kids and I blare out on a regular basis because, and it simply talks about how we don't, she, Moana speaks about not belonging. Mm -hmm. You know, she lived in this space of knowing that she was part of the, she was a leader of her community and there was an expectation for her to be there. And yet there was this calling and this pull for her to be more and to do mm -hmm. more and to, to go farther. And her family were so against that, not because of not believing in her, but because they were scared. And I, when I saw Moana for the first time and mm -hmm. granted it's a Disney movie. And so, you know, here I am outing mm -hmm. myself that I love Disney movies and I have a lot of children. So we watch those things, but yeah. I sobbed and I cried when I heard those words because I related so much to that fight and just wanting so badly for my own family to just love me anyways for who I am, not for who they wanted me to be, which was, you know, in, in their framework. And I understand that. And it's not their fault that they don't or can't. It's, um, and it's not mine either, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's the pull. Uh, and I really, really love that song mm. too. There's great. so many. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I still would like to talk with you about uh, the sustainable development goals, because that's something that I am passionate about. You know, these are goals that we set as a world. Um, and a lot of discussions have taken place in many countries. And, you know, yes, there are a lot of those goals, 17. Um, <laughs> some people say, you know, there are too, too many, but I still think it's good that we as a world have come up with some kind of compromise about what is necessary to really ensure that uh, this earth uh, you know this life becomes more sustainable yeah um, and you know and there is an, has been a new development in the last couple of years that said um, well the reason that we are not making enough progress on those 17 sustainable development goals is that because we as human beings um, you know we did not work on our own skills abilities and capacity as individuals as well as community to really uh, push these uh, 17 sustainable development goals so therefore they came up with the inner development goals yeah so my, my question is is to you is you know um ending violence against children is part of of uh, sustainable development goal number 16 that is even a sp specific target and rightly so and of course it's also related with sustainability goal number five which is you know gender and, and uh, other things around uh, kids yeah if I ask you you know what are your thoughts around um, the inner development goals the fact that yeah you need to look at you know what type of capacity and capabilities do I need myself to work on myself but also work on the world as a whole a any thoughts uh, on that um, yes, I have, I have so many, and I think that could probably be a whole podcast. podcast in itself. <laughs> we right? should do that then. Yeah. yeah let's do that. Um, <laughs> I would love to, but um, I would say but the simplest version is that I've never met a human 
no matter how atrocious their crime, that their primary need is not to matter. Every single human ever is their primary need is to matter. And when we have these developmental goals like eliminating violence, um, it, it's almost heartbreaking for me that we even have to say what we ought not to do. Hmm. Um, I have a child, one of my children, who has seen a lot and has been through a lot. Um, and she has struggled with her faith. And she has said, how can there be a God when there's so much harm? And I, I, for a couple of years, I was like, I don't even know how to answer that and support her because I don't know that I have the answer. Mm -hmm. So I've been asking people, what do I say to her? And um, unanimously, the response is, God created man. He's not living man. He's not living our lives for us. It's up to us. He gave us the gift to be good. And he gave us the ability to cause harm. And it's up to us to do the right thing. And harm comes from fear and harm comes from pain. And I would venture to guess that if we, instead of getting angry at the harmers, had some semblance of understanding, not excusing, but understanding and, and, and showed early, as early as we can, as early as the signs indicate, which is usually elementary, if not preschool, that those people matter. Imagine how those goals you've just described would be different. Imagine the changes, the, the, the wars. You, you even think about are the leaders that lead millions of representatives in their countries or in their followings to cause harm. Those, each of those leaders is, comes from a significantly traumatic upbringing and power and and um harm is the the go-to and i i've just i've sat in a room with 250 sex offenders which and and i've sat in many rooms with a lot of sex offenders i don't know how i've ended up in that position but i did but my first time i i was terrified maurice and I looked at this room of people and I was supposed to be there as a victim's empathy group to basically tell all of these people, I'm somebody like those you've harmed and you should feel bad for what you've done because, you know, look at me. <laughs> and I know that I, I, I bear, I'm simplifying the outcome of, and the goal of that meeting and maybe, maybe even missing the target a little bit, but what ended up happening by the end of that hour and a half long speech with the, with them is it went from me talking to them to me talking with them. And there were over 50 people who stood up during that time and shared for the first time in their lives, their own lived experience of being harmed and how that 
created this anger inside of them to then amplify them causing harm. Again, not to excuse it, not to justify it, but to understand it. And when we can create mattering, no matter the age, we can be really significant on those developmental impacts that you spoke of. And I don't know that we would have the need for that list if we ensured that every human felt like they mattered. So that was a very, that was a a 30,000 foot view (laughs) take on a very large global concept of human nature, but I I stand by it. (laughs) Thank thank you so much for, for, um, you know, sharing your experiences. And what I really appreciate is is also, you know, the way you talk about the different perspectives and the need for that. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it goes back to one of the, the premises of, of the podcast that I, I try to touch upon is that everyone's perspective is true, uh, albeit yeah. partial. And I think that's a strong um, approach in trying to understand that you can always have a dialogue. And although sometimes it seems impossible, um, but there is always a, a window, a door, um, you know, in where you can reach out and, and start discussing. And again, you don't have to always agree. Um, yeah. But uh, th- that's important. So thank you very much for sharing your story. Um, I hope that uh, the listeners will you know, check out um, your website and your organization and will reach out to you or other organizations are doing similar work um, yeah. if they feel they, they need to support. Um, yeah, th- thank you so much for making willingness to, you know, to make time to talk with me. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.